this last few talks that we've had, we have been at the Feast of Tabernacles with the Lord Jesus. Um, in chapter 7, uh, if any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink, you remember, out of his belly will flow rivers of living water. And last week we are in chapter 8, um, same day we think, uh, that great day of the feast, we think it's the same day, um, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. You remember? And let's read a few more verses. Shall we stay in the Feast of Tabernacles with the Lord? Um, so we might just pick it up where we finished before. Uh, verse 12. This is a resumption um, in the temple, the Lord's talking to the people. I am the light of the world. So chapter 8, verse 12. People who follow me won't go around in the dark. They'll have the light of life. And what we didn't talk about last week, there wasn't time, was what does it mean to follow the Lord Jesus? Which is a very... It's a bit of an obvious question, isn't it? Um, what does it mean... Uh, we'll come back to that, perhaps. Uh, perhaps we won't. Perhaps we'll stop there and we'll think, what is it to be his disciple? We have it later on in the chapter. I don't know if we'll get there. If you continue in my word, you are my disciples. Uh, he was suggesting to the, his hearers that there's going to be some opposition. You've got to persist. Um, and there's a lot of, uh, there's a, there is, what I would suggest is a confected view of discipleship in our Christian world. We have discipleship programs, discipleship camps, and where, and they essentially, they, they, it seems that they boil down to, uh, this expert telling this inexpert how they should discipline their lives to please God. This is what it seems like to me. And so I'm telling you how to be, and I'm going to disciple those people. Um, tell them what to do. And I wanted to remind you of, because it seems rather important, Lord, how shall I follow you? Do I have to just do a, a quick, a long study of all the things you say and make sure I toe the line? What is it? Um, and one of the things that I hope that we ought to remember, I think I hope that we will remember, is that Jesus is not only divine. He is God. We can never be like him in his divinity. He is also fully man. And we must be like him in his humanity. And all these extraordinary insights that the, the Father has preserved for us in the book of John, that sort of disciple who seemed to listen more and feel more and think more than his brethren, and wrote down the things that uh, we get nuances of responses and the things that Jesus was thinking and doing and saying that we don't get from the synoptists. Um, he uncovers to us some of what makes Jesus the man tick. How was it that he responded? How was it that he walked? Because you'll remember that in 1 John chapter 4, 
and verse 17 we have that extraordinary phrase for as he is so are we in this world and that's the whole point of Christianity Not we, we can't be like Jesus in his divinity we must be like Jesus in his humanity so that as he is as he walked and we keep coming across this um, he said in chapter 6 that uh, as I live by the Father even so you must feed on me and live by me same thing parallel concept and we read again and again that Jesus was not doing his own thing he, didn't, he wasn't running his own party he wasn't founding his own religion he was simply come as the servant of the father he was listening to the voice of God in his inner man all the time and that's what informed the things he said he said I do only the things the father shows me I say only the things the father shows me he was in communion with the father in his inner man and he was taught of God that's where the judgments came from that's where the speech came from that is the only way is the only relevant way that we must understand how to be followers of Jesus that he must be the one living in our inner man as the father is in him he must become in us so that we listen to his voice we listen to the prompting of the spirit now this was foreign it was absurd it, was, and, and it wasn't even picked up by the disciples except for John and we get it in his writings um, and so in answer to the question how shall we follow Jesus the answer is well we've got to start off with the baptism of the Holy Ghost so that he is indwelling us properly and then we've got to listen and walk and obey uh, I just want to say a couple of things about that. Uh, Matthew 24, uh, would you, 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 you might like to turn there. <coughs> no? Do you know what? I got the wrong chapter. It's 23. Uh, We'll just cut in at verse 8. You mustn't be called rabbi. You have one kathegetes. That's the word there. One teacher. Uh, one leader. Uh, we don't really have a similar word in English. It's a word derived from the word to guide. You have one teacher in the sense of guide. So how are we to be his disciples? we've got one guide <laughs> we've got to know the Christ in the inner man and live obedient to him and Jesus expressly forbids all the other religious stuff oh well I don't know God but he does so I'm going to listen to him tell me what to do and then, then I can be his side because I'm listening to him no <laughs> absolutely not the only way to be a follower of Jesus is to know him in the inner man and obey him 
And Jesus expressly forbids all this religious stuff. You mustn't be called rabbi. You've got one leader. And you're all one family. You shouldn't call anyone father on earth. Now that doesn't, that obviously doesn't mean to say you can't call your dad father. But to say in a spiritual sense that this is my spiritual father. In uh, the sense that he governs my faith. You mustn't do it. You've got to be. Let's see what he says. Because you have one father, one family, each of us, one father in heaven. Nor should you be called teacher, leader, cathegates. You have got one teacher, the Messiah. No, well, that's no good. I can't see him. I can't hear him. That's all right. Get on your knees and talk to him about it. And say, God, I need to discover you so that I can see you with the eyes of my inner man. So that I can hear you with the ears of my spirit. And not skate round the issue and say, oh, well, I'll just do a religious thing and say, I'll keep all the rules and that'll be good enough for me, I'll be a disciple for No, 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 no. It's not Christianity that's something beforehand or something that's not. So... Um, and what we're going to see as we read in our chapter 8 of John is that this is exactly, of course, how Jesus walks um, by hearing the Father in his inner man. So can we read a few verses? So that's why I say uh, we can't be like him in his divinity. We must be like him in his humanity. Which is why he came to spread abroad a conversion that would convert, change our humanity, make us into something we never were before and never could be apart from him. Uh, so that out of our bellies flow rivers of living water. This spake he of the Holy Ghost, which was not yet given. Plus it, he was not yet glorified. So let's read a few verses and pause along the way as we go later. Those who follow me won't go around in the dark. They'll have the light of life, which is what we talked about last last week, uh, last time. Ch- verse twelve, John chapter eight, verse thirteen. You're giving evidence in your own case, the Pharisees. Your evidence is unreliable, false, not necessarily a lie, but inadmissible. It's not. Now you remember that six months ago Jesus took that from them and he played along with their game and he um, set aside his dignity and condescended to be treated as a sinful man. And he said, yes, the, the testimony of one man isn't reliable. But we know that that's because of the sinfulness of man. Uh, it doesn't apply to him. He's truth. He is light. And this time, five months down the line, or is it six months down the line, he stands on his dignity. He takes his full divine right and stands up and says, even though I give evidence of myself. So we've got this apparent contradiction, but it's a different circumstance. Five months ago, the opposition was there. Six months down the line, it had solidified into murderous intent. They were out to get him. The fracture was final. And so his response is a bit different. It's not not contradictory, it's just a different response. Um, So this is what he said. Even if I do give evidence about myself, replied Jesus to them, my evidence is true because I know where I came from and where I'm going to. But you don't know where I come from 
or where I'm going to. You're judging in merely human terms. You're just judging the outside, or you just see a bloke. You don't see what you should see as the one that the Father has sent. Their conscience and their inner man, their spirit. Remember, the Lord talked about this, that the light came into the world and men loved darkness. They were all seared over. They were all inured, hardened against light. They couldn't see. All they could see was a bloke. He said, you're judging according to the flesh. Take out the thing. Verse 15, you're judging in merely human terms. I don't judge anyone. Which is interesting because he, in other places he says he does judge. We've got to reconcile that. I don't judge anyone. But here's what he said, verse 16, but even if I do judge, my judgment is true. I don't judge. I do judge. My judgment is true. Why? Because I'm not relying on a, on a carnal judgment. I'm listening to what the Father tells me. It's always back to this, that he is actuated, informed by the Father. Let's just read that. Um, even if I do judge, my judgment is true, because I'm not a lone voice. I'm not doing my own thing. I have on my side the Father who sent me. Ah. Verse 26 of our chapter. Can we just drop down there? There are plenty of things I could say about you, yes, and against you too. But the one who sent me is true, and I tell the word what I heard from him. Do you see, it's not him doing his own thing. It's him listening to the Father. And if you look also in chapter 5, verse 30, you get the same idea. Just very quickly, we'll flick back. I can't do anything on my own authority, Jesus went on. I judge on the basis of what I hear. How shall you be his disciple? <laughs> on the basis of what you hear. By listening to the witness of the Spirit and obeying him. Uh, completely foreign to these guys. Completely foreign to our humanity, naturally. But the whole purpose of Christ... The whole purpose of God in Christ is to bring us into this communion. And so we have Paul talking in chapter 8 of Romans, we have Paul talking about the witness of the Spirit. I'll just read it to you, if I can quickly plant an eye on it. He said... down somewhere sorry let me go to this bit of paper so just this same idea recurs this is a floppy version I gave it my other one away and I bought this online and I thought oh yeah it's just the same as mine but it's not it's got a Floppy back. Verse 16 of chapter 8 of Romans. When that happens, it is the Spirit itself giving, this is Tom Wright, giving supporting witness to what our own Spirit is saying. The Spirit bears witness with our Spirit. Yeah? 
Jesus was acting like that. That's what made him tick. Thanks, bro. That's what made him tick. The, the voice of the Father is what informed him. Uh, and in the same way, the voice of Jesus, by the Spirit, Paul says, bears witness that we're his children. It comes from the inside. Alright, so, I'm not a lone voice. I have on my side the Father who sent me. It's written in your law that the evidence of two people is true. I'm giving evidence about myself, and the Father who sent me is giving evidence about me. And very often that's understood as um, miracles, the signs that he was doing. And that's quite fair. This was evidence that, that Jesus was sent of God. It was used like that by Peter on the day of Pentecost. But, the other thing is, that as Jesus walked through his life, the Father was giving evidence in his inner man, talking to him. Telling him how to judge, telling him what to speak, telling him what to do. So that he was actuated, informed by the Father, a completely other kind of life. Uh, and Jesus comes on to emphasize that as we go on. And why are we saying this? Uh, it's not, this is not just academic. This is not just, oh, this is how Jesus was. Because he came so that his humanity could become our humanity. That he should be, in the, in the words of the Hebrew writer, the firstborn among Many brethren. So as we discover what makes Jesus tick and how he lives and what uh, and, and his method of doing man being human, we see the model for ourselves and what we must allow the Lord to bring us into. Else, it's been in vain. Uh, goes far anyway. So let's read on. So I'm giving evidence about myself, and the Father who sent me is giving evidence about me. He was hearing his voice all the time. Bring him forward then. Where's your father? You don't know me, replied Jesus. And you don't know my father. If you'd known me, you would have known my father as well. There were those who were beginning to discern in Jesus the Father. And they were bowing the knee and saying, The things that he says sounds like the eternal God that we hear the call of in our inner man. And they were beginning to know him. They're the apparatus of conscience by which they should know Jesus wasn't dead in the same way. They weren't hardened against him. But these guys, and you'll see this later on, that there was another bunch of Jews, the, the, the ruling party that were against him. And after this conversation, many of them believed. Uh, why? Because that faculty by which they should know God and know Jesus was being awakened. They were being taught of God. These guys, you don't know me. If you had known me, you would have known God. But there were some around that kind of did know him. And they said, yes, it's him. Let's read on. This 
Verse 20, he said all this in the treasury while he was teaching in the temple. Nobody arrested him though, because his time had not yet come. So Jesus spoke to them once more. I'm going away, and you will look for me, and you will die in your sin. You can't come where I'm going. Remember he said this to them in chapter 7? The same day, earlier in the same day, he said, I'm going away and you'll look for me and you won't find me. And that's been the history of Israel. They were looking for a Messiah. The Messiah had come. He'd gone away. They'd missed their opportunity. He was warning them again, I'm going away. And after this warning, many of the Jews turned. It says it. Let's read it quickly. I'm going away. You'll look for me. You'll die in your sin. The means by which you could have got out of your sin, you would have set aside. You would have rejected me. And I'll be gone. It'll be over. The opportunity for you, Israel, will be passed. For you, Israel, there'll be no way out. Uh, And we mentioned, of course, that by faith they could come in. But as a nation... They would, have, they would have missed their opportunity by rejecting the Saviour. Is he going to kill himself, asked the Judeans? Is that what he means? Mocking him, I guess. Is that what he means when he says that we can't come where he's going? Is he going to be the Messiah of the dead before he was accused of being the Messiah of the Gentile? Hmm. You come from below, Jesus said to them, but I come from above. You are from this world. I am not from this world. I told you that you would die in your sins, you see. That's what will happen to you if you don't believe that I am the one. Or that if you don't believe that I am. Uh, The world? I am from above, you're from this world. Contrast. The world... Just humanity developed apart from the Lord, and therefore in opposition to him, the world, all the world system. Elsewhere in scripture we have the spirit of this age, the spirit that actuates unregenerate man. The Lord said to them, you're of that spirit. Interesting, all these ultra-religious people, you're just another version of the world. That system of humanity... That, come, that has developed in separation from God and in opposition to him. Jesus, I'm, I'm not like you. I've come from above. And this precipitates another question to them. Who are you? They ask. What I've been telling you from the beginning, replied Jesus, I'm just exactly who I've been telling you all along. In chapter 2, it was the true temple. Remember that? And he was saying these things publicly. Chapter 2, the true temple. To um, Nicodemus, he was the true brazen serpent to be lifted up for the salvation of the people. In chapter 3, sorry, chapter 4, he's living water. In chapter 5, he's the true son of God, uh, life giver and judge. In chapter 6, He'd been telling them he was the bread of heaven. Bread that came down from heaven that gives life to the world. You've got to eat me, you've got to drink me. Chapter 7, he's life. Let him come unto me and drink. In chapter 8, he's the true light. <laughs> he, said, he said, you say, who am I? Had they had an ear to hear, they could have pieced it together. Uh, 
That's the whole issue. It's the ear to hear. It's not, it's not an issue of education. It's not an issue of information. It's an issue of moral readiness. Moral response to God. Uh, and Jesus said, don't you go tell him that I'm the Messiah. He didn't, he avoided using the word Messiah because he knew that was a trigger for all sorts of carnal thoughts and expectations. Uh, what he needed was people who were new in their inner man, in the way that Jesus knew in his inner man, because the Father was speaking to him. He needed people who knew in their inner man, because the Father was speaking to them, yes, he's Christ. He's the one. Yes, he's the true light. Yes, he's the true life. Yes, he's the true bread. So that he was, they were taught not through information coming in, but through a confirmation of what they already were sensing in their inner man. Does that make sense? And that's the whole issue with how Jesus is and how we must be. Not folk who've got a whole bunch of information coming in there, but who've got a whole bunch of life confirmed in the inner man, and the Spirit bears witness. And the whole thing is of another order completely. So, it's just what I've been telling you from the beginning, replied Jesus. There are plenty of things I could say about you, yes, and against you too. And the one who sent me is true. It's all going to be right. And I tell the world what I heard from him. They didn't, they didn't understand that he was talking about the Father. So Jesus said to them, When you've lifted up the Son of Man, the cross, when you've lifted him up, you thought you got rid of him, then you'll know that I'm the one. There was no doubt after that. After they crucified him, he ascended into heaven and he sent forth this, which you now see and hear, before all of Jerusalem gathered. By the way, this was the last time he was speaking to his people assembled. The people who rejected him, it was the last time he spoke to assembled Israel. That great day of the feast, when they were all there, the next day they were gone. They'd gone back home. So this was a kind of parting message before the next Passover at which he was to be offered. Yeah. When you lift me up, there'll be no doubt then. You'll know then. Because after they lifted him up, after they crucified him, came Pentecost. And on the day of Pentecost, to the gathered Israel, they gathered from all over the world to be there for the Passover. And at that time, there was such a hullabaloo, such a disturbance that they came together and they all heard the apostles speaking in their own tongue. And they had to explain, are they drunk? And Peter had to stand up and give some explanation. This is that of which the prophet Joel spoke. And he said, this Jesus whom you crucified, God hath made. We ought to read it now. Then there was no doubt. And so the very means that they thought they were going to extinguish his testimony and get rid of him was the means by which there was going to be no doubt anymore as to, what the, as to the fact that God was working in him and through him. Now, the thrilling thing is, in, in, amidst all this opposition, even at this late hour, six months before the crucifixion, let me just read on. Hear what it says. When you lift up the Son of Man, then you'll know that I'm the one, that I never act on my own initiative. I'm not. He wasn't doing it for himself. He wasn't doing it from himself. He was being a servant of the Father. I say exactly what the Father taught me. Verse 29, And the one who sent me 
is with me. Right? Hallelujah. Look, how paradise is that? That he sends us into the world and he's with you. I am with you even unto the ends of the earth. His humanity, my dear friends, must become our humanity. That we should live our lives from the same place as he lived his from. That ours should be his. And he should be the first among the firstborn among many brethren. We should be just like him as to his humanity. He hasn't left me alone. Listen to this. Why? Why has he left me alone? Oh, because he's gone. No, he hasn't left me alone because I do always what pleases him. How about that? If Jesus had done things that didn't please the Father, if he'd started to walk independently and do his own thing, at that moment the Father would have left him. The point about Jesus is that his perfect docility to the will of the Father, his perfect holiness, he was the proper servant, he came to do the will of the Father. Lo, I'm come in the morning of the book it is written of me, to do thy will, O God. Have a quick, quick look in chapter 10 and verse 17, we get the same idea there. And I intend that we should go just a few verses further on and then leave off for a few weeks. That's why, verse 10, 17, that's why the Father loves me. What? The Father needs a reason to love? Yeah! He has reason to hate. We read in the Bible that he hates sinners. Now we have a reason for love. That's why he loves me. Because I lay down my life so that I may take it up again. Ah! He does everything that pleases the Father. And so the Father never leaves him. Chapter 15, 10. Another thought like that. But this time directed at us. And I think we may have said this a few times, haven't we? But it doesn't do any harm to revise. (laughs) Chapter 15, verse 10. If you keep, if you keep my commandments, you'll remain in my love. That's why the Father has never left me. Because I do always the things that please Him. Exactly parallel. If you keep my commandments, you'll remain in my love. Ah. And, well, that comes later. We will, my Father will come to you and I will come to you. We will live in you. Uh, Let's just go back, because I want to get to, uh, to chapter 8, and we'll read on for a bit. He hasn't left me alone, because I do always the things that please him. Same rule, same principle. My commandments, you remain in my love. Verse 30. As Jesus said all this, many Jews believed in him. Now, these were the guys that were out for his, they were out to harm him. They were out to kill him. And even at this time, they were being taught of the Father. This is the one. In, Je- in Jesus' word, um, if you don't believe that I am the one. And even at this stage, these people who have been out to crucify him, out to find a way to bring him down, um, many believed in him. And he talks to them. And you must. Do you remember how? He, do you remember how he treats believers? Um, 
There's Nicodemus. Uh, Master, we know that thou art a teacher sent from God. Well, he wouldn't have it. He gets, the Lord gets straight in there and says, uh, you need to be born again, Nicodemus. <laughs> you think that, I mean, it's not, a, it's not really very helpful to be so uh, abrupt with your new adherence. Jesus wasn't very impressed with new adherence. Remember in Galilee? They were going potty about him. They said, oh, marvelous, they were going to kidnap him and, take him and make him a king. And he said, okay, you need to eat my flesh and drink my blood. And they all cleared up. Not all. Many of them cleared up. Um, so, he wasn't into external um, enthusiasm. He wanted the proper adherence of faith. And so, he blessed him. Well, I say blessed him, that's ridiculous. Um, thank you, Lord, for being so kind. Thank you for your gentleness and straightness. Um, so Jesus spoke to them. As Jesus said all this, this is the last, this great day of the feast, or perhaps it was the day after by now, uh, many Jews believed in him. So Jesus spoke to the Jews who believed in him. Okay, remember that this was the party that was out to get him. Maybe they'd been converted. There was something about uh, their hearts that had responded to that of truth in their inner man, which was being touched by Jesus. And he said, okay. And he hears what he says. If you continue in my word, if you abide, if you persevere, is the word, in my word, you're truly my disciples. The suggestion is that there's going to be stuff that comes against my word and if you persist in my word, if you keep going, you're really my disciples. Okay, you're on board for now. Great. Good on you. When the testing comes, if you keep going, you are my disciples. Truly. That's the real thing. Good on you. Uh, there would have been opposition from outside. These guys had been, um, they were, I guess all their friends were still had their knives drawn metaphorically for Jesus. So there would be opposition from outside. There would have been opposition from their own hearts as the word of Jesus challenged their prejudices and challenged their poor understanding and challenged their carnality. What was going to win? My carnality or the word of Christ? That's the same problem for you and me. It's the same challenge for you and me. As the word of Christ comes to us and challenges our aspirations, our desires, our will, our selfishness, our I, our carnality, are we going to persist in his word? Or are we going to persist in carnality? Choose. If we continue in his word and let the word judge us and let the word do its work like a knife. The word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder between soul and spirit. Now if you let that continue to work on you, you're my disciples. You're the real thing. Indeed, you're truly my disciple. Do you, do you see the kindness of God and he sends the mechanism by which we can be freed from our lives and all our wrongnesses and the places that we hide in in our inner man he sends his word his living sharper than any two-edged sword if we let that continue to operate on us we're the real disciple
But that was just the beginning. Here's, here's the promise, much bigger. What does that lead to? And this is more or less when we're, where we're going to finish. If you continue in my word, you're truly my disciples. That's the real deal. And, so that's present tense, now. And, can you imagine the pain? Uh, isn't that what Simeon said to Mary? A sword shall pierce thy soul. Uh, this child is set for the rise for the fall and for the rising again of many in Israel and thou woman a sword shall pierce your soul look we're not talking about having a party here it's all roses this is my spirit and my personality being challenged and the word of God effecting an operation incision excision cutting off cutting out uh, are you up for it? Disciples, he said, you believing Jews, are you and I up for it? We gonna, or are we going to pike? And say, oh no, look, that's too uncomfortable, i just take the easy path. Um, I'll look good on the outside, but I won't let my, in my inner man, I won't let Jesus rule me. We pike. But for those who are true disciples, um, there's a promise. Here's the next step. And you will know the truth. They don't know it yet. They, they're just getting a little taste of it. The truth is affecting them. They don't know it yet. Not until he who came... Now, I, I know I've said this so often, but it's so important. Because it, the Father said that the one whom thou seest the dove descend and remain, he it is who will baptize in the Holy Ghost. We'll only know the truth by, by means of the baptism of the Spirit. And then we'll really know it. Our eyes will be open and we'll see the truth that it's not the world. And the truth will set you free. The lie that's fascinated us will be free from. We're so fascinated with the lie that if we just do this we'll be happy. Just do this and have this pleasure or things go this way and it'll all be marvellous and it'll be a source of life for me. You'll know the truth. So if, you, if we continue in his word, there's going to come a day soon. This spake he, in verse 7, chapter 7, this spake he of the Spirit, which was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. I think this is the same will. You keep going, kids, um, disciples. You keep going, and you'll know the truth. This thing that you're, that's touching you, and that you're on the edge of, is going to overtake you. You're going to know it. It'll be revealed to you fully. And when this is revealed to you fully, when, when you know what's going on, when you see the reality, when you see um, me, when you see the holiness of the Father revealed in you, it'll set you free. Instantly. That fascination with sin will be gone. That thing that said, um, and in your inner man you'll loathe it, and it's against him, because you've seen the truth. You'll know it. It was a promise, I think, of that impending salvation. And then we come on to the next conversation. We're Abraham's children. We've never been in slavery, slavery to anyone. We'll have to come to that another time because I suspect we ought to finish. Um, we've never been in bondage to anyone. And Jesus talked about bondage. Uh, but isn't that lovely that on that, at this last knock, as he's closing the door on them and saying, I'm going, and you're going to die in your sins. There are some folk that got out of there. 
And they said, yeah. And they've been against him all through this last two and a half years. And they were converted. And, they were, and they were, there was enough of the love of light in them to overcome their prejudices and say, he's the one. Um, and believe. And instead of buttering them up, he tells it plainly and said, let it continue. You continue my word, you're my disciples for real. Dear ones, you and I, we've got to let the word continue to work in us. We've got to continue in his word. Even after the truth has set us free, we've got to let the word go on, um, continue to operate in us. So that we always do the things that please him. So that we're always, he's always with us. Um, let's pray for a moment. Oh Father, these things are in some senses too high for us. And yet, Lord, they're entirely what you intend that we should walk in. Grant understanding to our hearts. Grant, Lord, clarity and honesty and willingness in our inner man to embrace your things. So that we should be taught of God. And ultimately, Father, that we should please you and bring honour to your name. Lord, thank you for your love of us in salvation. Thank you for this extraordinary, this great and wonderful scheme of salvation that God should come and live in the inner man of an erstwhile fallen human. You should raise us up, make us new, make us, Lord, so that you can abide in us. Oh, Father. Please, Lord, will you take us beyond our word this afternoon and grant us the proper experience of the reality of your things. Amen. 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 Amen.